Hi, everybody. Rise family, how you doing today? Good. I'm excited about this new series that Pastor Joel is going to be leading us on. It's a very powerful story, and underneath the story is, of course, the story of who? Well, Jesus, right? Jesus. Um, so listen to these words. This is God's word to us. This is Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father had loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain and out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your father or will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is God's word. Thanks. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning, especially we have a new, a new addition to our, to our tribe, uh, Malachi Aaron, the son of of. Jake and Mandy, yeah, look at the hair. Some of you guys wish you had that much hair on your head, yeah. I know when you guys were praying for the, for the ladies coming back from retreat, some of you were saying, please, please help her to get home. I, I don't know how she does this on, on her own. I remember when my wife would go away to ladies' retreat and leave me with the kids. It was all that I could do to make sure that they got there with shoes on. My daughter at least had her hair combed, but... Uh, yeah, we're so glad that you've allowed your wives to get away. I know Bex called and said she's really enjoyed the time that she's had. Super excited about our new series that we're starting, looking at probably one of my favorite characters in Scripture, uh, the life of Joseph. And you know, when you think about this, this is a series on, on family. And if you are a single here, just don't, don't check out now, saying, oh, well, then this series isn't for me. This is a series for the whole family, whether you are a son, whether you are a daughter, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife. Because for some of us, uh, when we think about family, what, what comes to mind? 
And well, what comes to mind when you, when you think about family? Maybe this is what comes to mind. Remember going to the, to the mall years ago and they'd have, the, they'd have the, the thing up there where they'd have all the portraits and, you know, it looks like even the, maybe that dog doesn't, but sometimes it looked like even the dog had a smile on his face, you know, and you, the family's all, all perfect there. And someone has said that a picture says a thousand words, but rarely does it tell all the truth. Because you look at that picture and while everybody is dressed well and everybody's smiling, you don't know what the girl is thinking in her heart. Maybe she's thinking, this is really lame. And if my friends see me like this in this picture with my family, what will they, what will they think about me? The son up in the corner with the blue shirt, he's getting ready to graduate from uni. And he's saying, when I'm done with school, I am done with this family. I'm done with my dad telling me what it is that he wants me to do. I'm done trying to live out dad's dreams. I want to live my dreams for my life. The mom is seizing, is seething, because the, the, just before they got there, they had a tremendous fight. What was the fight over? The fight over was over what kind of shirt he was going to wear. She had her shirt all picked out for him, but he decided, no, I want to wear this shirt. A picture says a thousand words, but rarely does it tell the truth. I think that's why there's been such a push in the last 20 years with reality TV. Because we see things for how they truly are. Maybe your family looked like this, though, where it wasn't normal. I mean, the only thing normal in your house was the setting on the dryer. I mean, there, there wasn't anything. Maybe you didn't have a dad in your home, or, or your mom was there, but she was busy all day long, and, and life was chaotic at best. And the family we meet today is a mess. They are a mess. It's one, one husband, his name is Jacob, with four wives, yeah, all at the same time. And we're going to delve into that story next week. But he's got four wives, but of those four wives, he has one of them that he loves with all of his heart. The others, in fact, if you want to dig really deeply into the Hebrew, the one he hates, he was tricked into marrying her. He's got 12 sons. And one daughter, at least one daughter. And of those 12 sons, he loves one of them with all of his heart. And at best, he tolerates the others. He is a passive father. In fact, when his daughter Dinah gets raped, he does nothing. He leaves it into the hands of his, his the son or the brothers of Dinah, Simeon and Levi, take things into their own hands, and they end up killing a whole village of men. I mean, and what does he do about it? He, he had the, his complaint about it is it's not, now we're going to be a stink in the nostrils of the people around us. This is a family that's a mess. But not only are they a mess, they are a powder keg waiting to explode. And as we look today, as we begin with this story, it is interesting how this account begins. Because prior to this, in Genesis chapter 36, remember, one of the things we're going to have to nail down quickly is that Jacob is a twin. He has a brother by the name of Esau, two guys that are two totally opposites. And in chapter 36, we're given the genealogy of, of Esau, and it's fairly lengthy. It's one of those sections you just kind of look at and you move on to the next thing. 
But chapter 37, we would imagine that it would start with the genealogy now of Jacob. But it doesn't. It, the, the, the text slows down. And here I'm going to geek you out for just a bit. When Hebrew slows down, when it shows you details about somebody, it's doing that for a purpose. And it's going to slow down now for 15 chapters. And we're going to go into the story of, of Jacob and his family. But primarily, we're going to be looking at one of his sons, a guy by the name of Joseph. This family was a mess. But aren't you glad that God works in messy families? He worked in yours, didn't he? I know he worked in mine. And my family wasn't, wasn't perfect. And even for Becca and I, our, our family wasn't perfect. God works in messy families. You know, out of this family... Out of this family is going to come one who through his actions and through God putting him where he puts him, he's going to have an impact to save thousands and thousands of lives from starvation, even his own family. One of these guys in this family, most unlikely guy you'd ever imagine, it is through his line that the Savior of all mankind is going to come. You don't think that God can work in the midst of messy families? I hope this is a, a bit of hope for you right now. Because you're saying, my family is a mess and I don't know how in the world anything could ever come good out of my family. God is at work in your family. Know that God is at work in your family. So this account, it begins in an interesting way. It says, this is the account of Jacob. And we would think, now it's going to start talking about Jacob. But it doesn't. Look at what it says. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now remember, when the scriptures tell us something about the person, it's there for a reason. And we're told right off the bat, we think that it should be talking about Jacob, but he stops and he starts talking about Joseph. Why? I wonder if it isn't because the tension in this family Remember, this is a messy family. This is a powder keg waiting to explode. And explode it will. And when it explodes, it's going to be hurtful. It's going to be bad. And it's going to go on for a long, long time. But the family you meet here in chapter 37 is not the same family you will meet in chapter 50. God's going to do a work. But it's going to be a mess before it gets better. But I think, I may be wrong. I've been wrong once again. But I think the issue is, the tension is between Joseph and Jacob. The tension is the way in which Jacob loves Joseph. We're told here, Joseph's a young man. He's 17. Now, this is not a knock on you if you are 17 and younger. But I got a hunch there's a bit of immaturity in him. Not only that, we know that Joseph is we're going to know even further that Joseph is the son that his dad loves. His father dotes on him. He's a little, probably more than a little spoiled. So he's immature, he's spoiled. We're going to read later on, he's, he's got a bit of an ego. And on top of all this, he's handsome. If you look at Joseph, you say he's got everything going for him. But he's a tattletale. 
not only do his brothers know that he is the one, he's the golden boy, but he's a tattletale. I don't know about you growing up. Uh, <laughs> your little brother, little sister squeals on you. It's like, <laughs> wait till I get you. And Jacob doesn't do anything. And he listens to it. You know, and you, th- you think about this for a second. You remember when you were 17? Some of you, that's a little harder than others. But uh, remember, I, I, could re- I could barely remember 17. I, I, I remember it. But remember some of the decisions you made when you were 17? Move ahead 10 years to when you were 27. Any difference in some of the decisions you made just in 10 years' worth of time? Where's Jacob when Joseph is making some of these moves? Jacob is a passive father. Because this isn't the first time that Joseph is going to say something he probably shouldn't. But he says it. But does Joseph need someone in his life that's going to say, hey, 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 um, I think you stepped over the line here. I think you need to be careful with the things that you say. Your brothers already don't like you. Did Joseph need somebody? There is no room in being a parent for a passive parent. When things need to be addressed, we need to address them, don't we? I don't know about you. I hated disciplining my kids. I I hated it. I mean, I didn't care for it. I know that my mom and dad will listen to this message. They always do. I didn't like it when my mom and dad, or it was my mom when she would would discipline me. I really did not like it. And I didn't like having to discipline my kids. But there comes a point where you need to step in. There are times when kids do things that it's like, what are you thinking? What they're thinking is that they're young. And do they need someone to step into their life and to speak wisdom? Now, for you young people that are here, I know you're thinking right now, yeah, but you don't understand my mom and dad. I I wouldn't say this out loud, but they just don't get it. They don't understand me. In fact, I'm embarrassed when I'm around them. And, 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 And when they try to correct me, it's like, yeah, right, who are you to correct me? I see what you do. I see the way that you and dad respond to one another. Who are you to tell me? Can I just stop you for a second and just say, instead of having that reaction, have a reaction that says, thank you. If you say thank you to your parents when they seek to correct you, you're going to have to pick them up off the floor. Because they're going to wonder, who in the heck is this kid? You know, whose kid is this? Because my kid snarls back at me. My kid doesn't respond like that. But there's two ways of responding, both of the parents and the kids. There's tension in this family. But the tension begins with this relationship between Jacob and Joseph. Now, there are 11 other, or 10 other brothers that are also in the whole mix of this. And their response Adds fuel to the fire. Because Jacob does something that doesn't make any sense. Jacob, excuse me a minute. 
it says here that Israel, that's another name for, for Jacob. I don't have the time to go into all that today. It says that Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him a richly ornamented robe. Now, when it says that he was born to him in his old age, the son that was born to him in his old age was Benjamin. But the fact remains that Joseph was the one who was loved. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Why? Why? There are two reasons. Number one is that Joseph is born from the wife that Jacob loves. Jacob is madly in love with Rachel. When he sees her, it is love at first sight. And more about this next week. But when Jacob sees Rachel for the first time, it's like, if I can only have her, then my stinking life will finally have some meaning to it. And when he gets her, he realizes that she isn't the answer to everything in his life. That Joseph is the son born to the wife that he loves. And Jacob dotes on Joseph. But why does Jacob do that? I think it goes back to his home. Because the home that Jacob grew up in, now I've been working on this for a while here, so Jacob and Joseph, I may get them mixed up once in a while here, so just hang with me. Jacob's a twin. His brother is a guy by the name Esau. Esau is a man's man. I mean, hairy like an ape. Jacob is it's smooth skin. Esau is a man, he says, he's a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. If he lived in Wisconsin, I mean, he would be doing archery season, he would be doing rifle, he would be doing black powder, he'd be trapping on the side. Anytime that there was a good day, he would be out fishing. He was a man's man. He was the type of son that Jacob, or that, that Isaac, Jacob's father, loved. Whereas Jacob, hmm, says he's a quiet man, staying among the tents. Do not interpret that. Do not interpret that, that Jacob is weak. We're going to see just how strong Jacob is next week. Do not interpret it that way. Jacob's strong. Jacob is conniving. Esau's got a bit of wind between his ears. Uh, Jacob is conniving. And what Jacob wants, Jacob gets. Did you get that last line? Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. And just the opposite is true. And Rebekah, Loved Jacob. Do you see some tension beginning here? Mm, it's going to get even worse. Is there any room for favoritism in, in our family? Now, granted, some kids are easier to raise than others. And it, they just come out of the womb and they are compliant. Ah. I never had the kids that slept through the whole night. I talked to some young moms and, and dads, and it's like, oh, yeah, my kids have been sleeping through the night since they were two days old. Mine didn't sleep through the night until they were four. I mean, it just, it, it just never happened like that. And some kids are compliant. Our first was very compliant. He was easy. Our second, man, he came out of the womb, and it was all, all systems go. I mean, this kid, 
He was, he was a terror from the day that he was born. And now, thankfully, he has one of his own. So it's like payback comes around. But all four of my kids were different. My daughter, the one time she stamped her foot and, and looked at me, and all I had to do was say, Liesel, run nay. She burst into tears, and that was the last time she ever talked back to me. My youngest son, gentle giant. Six foot four, but just a gentle giant. I mean, it was so easy to work with him. They're all different. Every single one of our kids, even though they all look alike, when we're all walking in a line, we all walk the same, but they are not the same in the way that they act. But God has blessed you with those children. He's blessed you with them for a reason, that they will be a blessing as well. And even though God may give you a difficult child, God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty has placed them in your home and has given you the immense task of raising them in a way that they will not only find Christ, but that they will continue to replicate Christ in other people's lives. Why does... Jacob do what he does. Why does he love his one son more than the others? Because of what's modeled at home. Be careful what you model at home. You know, the one thing that Jacob, I don't think he enjoyed this. The one thing that he didn't like, he replicates in his house. Be careful what you model at home. Remember years ago, watching a went to the little league game of um, one of the kids in our church. He was good. He was really good. His dad had also been an amazing baseball player. And so when this kid got up to bat, and there were several times. I mean, he just he just knocked it really well and did a really good job. Then he changed pitchers. And he could not hit off of this pitcher. And every time that he didn't get the pitch or that he struck out, it was embarrassing. He would take the bat and he would just beat the ground with the bat the whole time. Who's the coach? Right, dad. It's like, hmm. I wonder how things go at home. I could be wrong. But I look at the way some of my kids respond in different situations. It's like, ooh, I know where they learned that from. Be careful what you model at home. Be careful. Because Jacob, Jacob replicates in his home, what, what, grew, what he grew up in. He had a mother who loved him, but a father who didn't. And Jacob goes on now to have a wife that he loves and a son that he loves, but sons that he doesn't love. He tolerates them at best. And he has three wives that he tolerates at best. And see, you think in your mind, now what would it have been like for, you know, to, to be in a home like that, 
where you know that there is nothing that I could ever do as one of Jacob's sons that will ever get me in good graces with him. I will never be as good as Joseph. Think about one of those wives. There is nothing I can do to make Jacob love me as much as what he loves Rachel. And the sons who know that their father doesn't love their mom. Can you imagine what that felt like? And you say, yeah, I know what that felt like. I was that, I, I grew up in a house like that. Yeah, my sister, she was the golden girl. I, I struggled to get B's. And she would get A's, just, she hardly even studied. Captain of the cheerleading team. Yeah, if, if you was at the mall, and you, know, you have all the pictures at the mall, hers would have been up there. Hers was the one that, hey, if you want somebody to look like, you wanted to look like my sister. I was born ordinary. And I lived in the shadow of my sister. Yeah, I, I know what that's like. I grew up in a home like that where my brother... You know, he, he is, he's the golden boy. I mean, everything he does to you, that he touches, I mean, turned to gold. I was the one that, yeah, yeah everyone kind of looked over the top and, oh, you're, you're his brother. Yeah, I know what that's like. And for some of us, that produces hurt, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And the question is, what are you going to do with that hurt? Think about the wives. Because scripture says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a sacrificial love, isn't it? That's a love that put, that put others before himself. And he calls us to love our wives like that. And he says to wives that they're to love their husbands they're to love their husbands. And for some of you, you're thinking right now, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you don't see my wife. She's got a tongue like an adder. I mean, yeah, when she's not here, yeah, I, I, I cannot, Pastor, I cannot remember the last time that she said a kind word to me. That she complimented me on something that I did. Yeah, yeah, Pastor, I will love her when. You, you, you want me to love him? Look at him. He's laying on the couch going nowhere, and he's taking me with him. And, and that, that guy, love him? I can't remember the last time that he said even a word, a word to me that was kind. And you're calling me to love him? You're calling me to respect him? Yeah, right. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, our culture... And our church culture, we listen to messages like this, but we do not take them to heart. And then we wonder why we don't see the hand of God in our lives. You see, this isn't a simple request on the part of God. It was a command. And it's not a command that says, I'll love you when, or I'll love you if. And I, I don't know your situation, okay? I don't. I don't know what you live with. But I know what it is that God calls us to. And I know what it is that God calls us to model before our children. 
because you need to be careful what you model at home. When I met Donna, I was a brand new pastor. I still had red hair and a mustache at that time. And, uh, she was in her um, early, early 40s. And I didn't, I'd never seen her husband. I asked one day, I said, where is, I said, is, is Donna married? Because I see she's got a, a daughter. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they have a you know, house just over here. And I said, well, how come I never see him? Oh, about that. Oh, well, he came to church one Sunday, and somebody thought that he was her grandpa. And so that was the last time he came to church. Brilliant man. Absolutely brilliant. Rich was a financial uh, advisor in San Francisco. Brilliant, brilliant man. Terrible husband. <laughs> when, when Rich came home, he went to his chair. And he walked right past his wife, walked right past his daughter, and sat down in his chair. Donna had to have the newspapers lined up for him as he came and sat down in his chair. Had to have his drink waiting for him when he got to his chair. And Rich would sit down in his chair, and then it happened. The dog would come jumping out of the room, would come find him, jump up on his lap, and lick him in the face. She was so happy to see him. That was the only person that got affection in that home was the dog. And Donna one day talked, about, talked to Rich about tithing. And she said, uh, I'd, I'd like to begin tithing. And he said, not on, my, not on my money, you're not. He said, if you want to tithe, you tithe off of your money. Donna had a, 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 what is it? a daycare. And there were five or six kids that came to the daycare. She made a little bit of money, but she tithed faithfully off of that. And you never knew that this was going on at home, that she was having a difficult time at home with, with Rich. And one day, Rich came to her and said, I think you need to get a job, a, a good-paying job. And he said, I'd really encourage you to get a, find a job where you got some benefits. She went out, and right away, she got a job. Great benefits, great job. Two weeks later, he said, we need to have a talk. He said, I'm dying. He said, I'm, I've got stage four lung cancer. And he said, uh, doctors are giving me six weeks. He didn't even last that long. And when, when it was close to the end, Donna called Becca and I, and she said, Rich is close to the end. She said, would you guys please come? So we came and walked into this into this hospital room, and the lights were dimmed, and there was music playing, and, and here's Donna. She's over there at, at, at Rich's head. Rich is on his way out, and she's gently stroking his hair, and she's speaking into his ear and telling him how much she loves him. And she looked at me, and she said, why don't we, why don't we go and get dinner? It's going to be a little bit here yet. Why don't we go get some dinner? As we turned to walk out the door, she stopped and she said, he's gone. Sure enough, he, he was. I did the funeral for Rich several days later. You would have thought the man that she married was, was an absolute saint. The things that she said about him, the way in which she spoke about him, this guy had been a skunk. An absolute skunk to her, and the way in which she responded to him was, it, it was like, wow, I have never seen anybody love their 
husband in that way, even when she was not loved, she chose to love. God doesn't say love if or love when. He says to love. And when you model that in your home, when you as a guy or as a lady model in the home, uh, when you're in an argument and you clam up, what, what's wrong? What, what, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. Mm. You've been there too. That's a form of punishment. Ladies, when you roll your eyes at your husband when you are in a, having a conflict, you are teaching your daughter how to respond in the midst of a conflict as well. Be careful what you model at home. Love your spouse. Not if, not when, but love them. Ask God to help you to love them. But you don't understand, Pastor. You, you don't understand the hurt. It said there that um, let me go back. I missed the spot. The robe. I don't know what Jacob is thinking. I, I, I wonder. I, I got a hunch. Jacob gives to Joseph a richly ornamented robe. <laughs> if things weren't bad already, they just went from bad to worse. They went from the oven to the frying pan here. This robe was not just, uh, you know, you've seen it in pictures. It's, it would have been, had many colors to it. It would have been longer. It would have had long sleeves designating that the wearer was exempt from work. So when Jacob or when Joseph is out with his brothers, has he got that robe on? That robe not only was a nice gift, it telegraphed to everybody, all the relatives and all of his family, that Joseph was the heir apparent in the family. That when Jacob died, everything would be given to Joseph. And the others would get the scraps. <laughs> Why did he do that? I think it goes back to home. See, again, Jacob's a twin. And while he and his brother are in the womb, I mean, they're, they're jostling around in the womb, and God says that the younger will serve, or the older will serve the younger. Isaac knows this. But I wonder with the robe if it isn't a power play. Because as Jacob and his family are coming back, they, they finally left Laban, and you're going to hear about Laban next week. But they finally have left Laban been with Laban for 20 years, and they come back to their homeland. And on the way coming back, when they're back there in Bethel, Rachel gives birth to her second son, Benjamin, but dies giving birth. Benjamin lives, but Rachel dies. And in the midst of this grief 
something takes place. Jacob's oldest son, whose name is Reuben, sleeps with Bilhah. That would have been Rachel's handmaid. Why does he do that? It's a power play on the part of Reuben. But it says that Jacob heard about this. But again, he does nothing. And so you got this really weird dynamic going on in the home. Jacob knows that Reuben has slept with his, with his wife. And Reuben knows that dad knows that he knows. And can you imagine the tension that's there? And, and Jacob doesn't do anything yet. That's a long ways down the road when Jacob finally settles that score. But I think there's a power play that's going on there that Jacob realizes he's getting older and that his sons are getting older and he needs to reinforce who it is that's going to carry on the family line, who it is that's going to inherit. Just like his father did. See, Isaac doing an end around around what God had said. God had said the older will serve the younger. But Isaac loves Esau, and what is he trying to do here? He says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that they could no longer see. There's a major detail about Isaac that you can dig apart yourself. He calls for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. Esau says, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm, now old, I'm an old man and I don't know the day of my death. He's got 30 more years at least to live after this. At least. Because Isaac and, or Jacob and Esau will bury him. And Jacob's 20 years with Laban. So there, he's still got quite a bit of time. And he says to him, Get your weapons and your bow and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it for me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. It's as though Jacob is doing the very same thing with his son Joseph that his father Isaac was trying to do with Esau. But remember, Isaac is a conniver, or Jacob is a conniver. Jacob's mother hears this, and she puts in the plan, this is what we're going to do. Jacob gets the blessing, but he will never see his mother again. It will be over 20 years before he sees his father and his brother again. And he will really suffer in the next 20 years, as we'll hear next week. But in that blessing, if you read the blessing, what is Isaac planning to give to Esau? Everything. And what is he looking to give to Jacob? Nothing. And the very same thing that his father sought to do to him, he now does to his ten other sons. You think that there might have been a tad bit of hurt in that family? Oh my goodness, was there hurt. You think there was some hurt on the part of those wives who were unloved? Oh yeah, hurt when, Jake, or when Joseph keeps blabbing at the mouth about this and that? Yeah. And every one of us knows what it's like to be hurt. The question is, what do you do with the hurt? Because while these sons were hurt, and every single one of us in this room has been hurt by somebody, every one of us, 
somebody who said something about us, somebody who's done something to us, somebody who's promised something to us, and then reneged on that. Some have really, really hurt us. And while we may not be able to do anything about that, we can do something about how we respond. Now, you don't understand, Pastor. The house I grew up in, man, I was, I was ridiculed, I was hurt, I was beaten. I, 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 I'm sorry for that. I generally am sorry for that. But how we choose to live now, we cannot blame on our past. Amen. We need to own, our, own it as well, but we need to respond in a way in which where Christ is lifted up. Because here's the problem. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, who's the him in that? It's Joseph. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Why does the author leave out the names? <laughs> they not only hate Joseph, but who do they truly hate? Jacob. They are hurt by Jacob. And when they exact their revenge, see, here's the thing. You've heard me say this many times. You'll hear me say this many times again. Hurt doesn't quarantine well. It just doesn't. And it says that they, they hated they hated him. They could not speak a kind word to him. If you look there carefully, just in these 11 verses, three times it speaks about hate. They're already past the place of hurt. They've moved on to, the, on to the second level. And this is where it gets dangerous. Because you move from the place of where I'm hurt to I hate. Where's the next step? I'm going to hurt. And when it gets to this place, it's I don't care what it does to anybody else. I don't care who else it hurts. I've been hurt, and I'm going to hurt you back. And they're very close to this. Like I said, this family is messy. But they are a powder keg that is waiting to explode. And in the midst of it, Jacob just keeps doing stuff. But the brothers had a chance. They have an opportunity of how it is that they respond. And they continue to respond with even more and more hatred. In fact, there's another, there's another emotion that's going to be inserted in here at the very end. I'm hurt. I hate. I'm going to hurt. When we first moved to Minnesota, we had a huge backyard. It was an acre of backyard and a half acre of front yard. It had been a, a hayfield before we got there, so there were no trees, and we worked hard to plant trees and things like that. We thought we were going to be living there. We lived there for almost 10 years, and uh, so we did a lot to work on the yard, and I, that's the one thing about living in a condo now that I, I miss at times. I miss cutting grass. I mean, I'm just, I'm a good German. I'm a grassophile. I mean, I just, I like to cut grass. <laughs> when I like to do it. <laughs> but at that time, we had that, that yard, and I had, I had John Deere riding lawnmower, and so I thought, boy, this is every man's dream. And across the road from us, there was what they call the borrow pit. I don't know what they call it around here. Just the, the ditch, you know, next door. And every week in the summer, there'd be this old man 
and I assumed that he was his son. And they would have their own John Deere riding lawnmowers, and they would come down the road, and they would mow the borrow pit. And I, I would notice that, though, around the telephone poles and the other little poles there, that they didn't cut, they didn't, you know, weed whack. Being the good German I am, you know, you got to make sure everything is all trimmed up. So I thought, I can help out with that. I went over, and I took my weed whacker and whacked the weeds down, and the next Next time I mowed grass here, I see them coming down the road. And I wave at them, and he kind of does one of these to me. So I thought, oh, he wants, to, he wants to get to know who I am. So I went over there, I stuck up my hand, I said, hi, I'm na my name is Joel. He looks at me, and he says, did you cut around the telephone pole? And I said, yeah, I did. He said, don't ever do that again. He said, I don't put my hand into your offering plate. He said, you don't put my hand, you put your hand into my pocket. It's like... Okay, so how did he know that I was a pastor? I don't even know who this guy is. And I knew that he wasn't getting paid, but I turned around. At first, I thought he was kidding. And then I could see that his face was beet red, and it's like, okay, he's not kidding. And I said, you have a good day. And I turned around, and I walked away. That was just the start. Huh. He... he he shoveled the snow. We, bar we shared a driveway with our neighbor who was uh, just a little ways down from us, and he was the one who, who shoveled the snow you know, with, the, with his pickup. And I had to make sure that whenever I blew the snow, I did not blow any snow onto his freshly plowed. He would be waiting. He would be watching me in his truck, making sure that I wouldn't do that. Nothing I could do, even my pretty red-haired little daughter with a box of raspberries to give him. Nope, nope, don't want any of that. And I said to Becca one day, I said, I wonder who hurt him. Hurt people hurt people. And he wore not only the hurt, but he wore the, this veneer of hatred so that whenever anybody gets close to him, what did he do? I mean, the normal person would have said, hey, thank you for taking that. Thanks for seeing that, you know, around, those, around the telephone pole. But for whatever reason, it's like, seriously? Seriously? This is what's going to push you over the edge that somebody cut around the telephone pole? Well, what's up with that? But some people, that's all they know. The Count of Monte Cristo, what does he say? to his assistant when he tries to intervene. Don't take away my hate. It's all that I have. And for some people, that's all they have. And for these sons, this had now become their way of life. And it's going to get worse. Because again, Joseph, I don't get it. Oh, here's the last one. God doesn't show favoritism. In the eyes of God, uh, we are all, there's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. In the eyes of God, we're all one skin color. And we're all one in Christ. And we should treat one another as though we're one in Christ. And these brothers... <laughs> If you have a hard time understanding Joseph, Jacob, you have a harder time understanding Joseph. I don't know what he's thinking. Does he not cop a clue that his brothers can't stand him? He has two dreams. Both dreams are basically the same, and they're doubled. And you'll see the same thing happen when, when we meet Pharaoh. 
They're double because it's something that God is saying, this is what's going to definitely happen. And we know that the dreams came from God. I don't think that Joseph understands yet. But the dreams basically are this, that his brothers are going to come and they're going to bow down before him. And it will happen. But boy, does he need to say that? Does he need to say it? Because what happens as a result of it? He says, listen to this. I had a dream. We were binding sheep. <coughs> Excuse me. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. That's the second time. Verse 8 was the third time. And what happens with these dreams, these dreams are from God. God is at work to preserve not only his, uh, his people, but he's working to keep a promise that he made to Abraham. He had promised Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And they will be. And God is going to preserve his line. But for, but for Joseph, I think these dreams are what kicked them over the edge. What kicked the brothers over the edge. Because now, this is a little bit further down the line. And you'll be hearing from Pastor Sam on this one. But Jacob has sent Joseph out with robe on. Remember this robe that tells everyone that he's the heir apparent? And he sends him out to his brothers. What is he thinking? What is he thinking? Does he not get it that his brothers, that his sons, can't stand the very ground that Joseph walks on? What is he thinking? And why I say these dreams are what kick it over the edge, listen to what they say. Here comes the dreamer. They said, to each other, come now, let, let's kill him. Whoa, 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 whoa. How did it get to this place? They have moved from where? From I'm hurt to I hate to let's kill him. And they said, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. But their response is one where they're not only interested in hurting or they're not only interested in hurting Joseph, they're ultimately wanting to hurt their father too. Because the next reaction, this is the fourth, this is the second emotion that's put in here. It's jealousy. It's moved from hatred to jealousy. Joseph has something that the brothers don't which is love. They don't have love. And every day, they see the love that Joseph gets that they will never get. Every day, Leah lives a living hell, living in the shadow of the girl who was always loved. And she is the one that is never loved. Jealousy. This is why it's so important that we love our children. Even though some of them are a whole lot easier to love than others. To tell your children that they're cherished. To tell them that you love them. 
And today, you may say that to your child, and they may say, oh, you're only saying it because pastor said that this morning. Do it anyway, and keep on doing it. And keep on saying it, even when they call you at 2 in the morning with something that's going to absolutely break your heart. You stop and you tell them, I'm proud of you. Before you say another word, I'm proud of you. And nothing you can do will ever change the fact that you are my child. Our children don't come with a roadmap. They don't come with a, with a guide. But they're given to us, and they're given to us by God. Some of them break our hearts. But we're still called to love them. We're still called to keep on praying for them. Because it's dangerous when it gets to this place. Barney was good at his job. He was really good at his job. And when Barney got the call, he went into action. Barney was a Doberman pincher. He wasn't that purple dinosaur. He was a Doberman pincher. And his owner had Barney for a specific reason. He used Barney to, uh, to guard collections of different things. And on this occasion, Barney was called into a place of all names, Wookiee Caves in, in the UK. Because there was, a, there was a collection of 1,500 rare teddy bears being kept at this, at this collection. And they needed somebody to watch the, the collection at night when there was nobody there. So they called up Barney's owner. Barney's owner came down, brought Barney in there and said, no problem. He said, does this stuff all the time. Brought him in there, and here were all of these teddy bears. The owner was an Elvis Presley nut. He loved Elvis Presley, anything Elvis Presley. And he noticed Mabel. Mabel was a medium-sized, white, stiff teddy bear. And when he looked at Mabel, he remarked that Mabel was soft and but Mabel had been Elvis Presley's teddy bear. He looks at it and says, I am holding the very teddy bear that Elvis Presley once had. And he began to stroke the head of this teddy bear, and then he put it down. Shut the door. <laughs> you know what's coming. Came back the next morning, and it was absolute scene of carnage. Teddy bears everywhere. This dog went berserk. There was a body over here. There was an arm over here. There was stuffing over here. And to look at, you know, normally a Doberman has, the, you can look it up online. Normally Doberman has the ears pointed up. This one has the ears flopping down. And at his feet is who? It's Mabel. Everything. She is beyond repair. $50,000 U.S. is what she was worth. And they look back and they said, he's like, I don't understand this. This dog has never done this in his life. I said, why? He said, the only thing I can think of is that I was stroking Mabel's head and Barney was watching me the whole time. And that he was jealous of the attention that the teddy bear was getting. When jealousy is introduced, it ramps up a whole nother 
another set of emotions. And that's why it's so important that we love and that we choose to love even when we're not loved. That we choose to speak respectfully even when we're not respected. We choose to pour into, our li into the lives of our kids the love that they desperately need. And here's one last thing for us as guys. If you have a daughter, tell her often that you love her. If you can, take her up on your lap. If she's young enough, take her up on her lap and tell her how proud of her and how you cherish her. Because there's something about girls that if they don't find that in you, they will go out looking for it. And they're going to bring some knuckle dragger back into your house. And then you're going to have an even bigger issue. Love your children. Ask God to help you to love them. And parents, it's never too late for a mid-course correction. I really wonder if that wasn't the author's intent here. To show us that, hey, this family didn't have it all together. They weren't perfect. But boy, did God work through this family. And man, did some things happen as a result of it. But it took some work. It took humility on their parts. But the family we meet in 37 is not the same family we're going to meet in 50. They had allowed God to do a work in their lives. And as we progress through this series... God's going to give you opportunities for humility. God's going to give you opportunities for obedience. But he is the one who calls us to it. And he's the one who breathes hope into your lives. If you've been hurt, he's the one who can bring healing. If you're the one that's hurting, he's the one that can give you the words to say. And he's the one that can bring healing in relationships as well. Hope, okay? Don't lose hope in the midst of this because with God, it is possible. And we see with this family, this is a mess. If God can work in this family, he can work in ours too. Amen? Yes. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. And thank you, God, for how you leave us an example. Man, Joseph's family was a mess. David's family was a mess. And yet you powerfully used both of those guys. And Lord, for some of us, we come in today and we if we're honest, we say, I don't want to. I don't want to give up the hate. I don't want to give up the hurt. Jesus, you were the one that bore hatred of men. You were the one that was hurt on numerous occasions. And yet you chose to respond in a way that didn't continue to exacerbate the situation. 
but in a way that kept pointing to Christ. Lord, help us. Help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And maybe that was a father, or a mother, an uncle, a brother, a sister, a teacher, a coach, even a pastor. Sunday school teacher. Lord, for some of us, we've been carrying the hurt and the hate for far too long. And it masks who you truly want us to be. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would set us free. pray that, Lord, that you would give us the words to say to a spouse, to a child that desperately needs to know that we love them, to a spouse that desperately needs to hear, we're still in your corner. God in heaven, I pray, I pray for us that as parents, that you would help us to parent our children. And for some of us, our children are all gone. They're all out of the house. But they're still our children. And God, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us deep love for them when it's hard. And call our children back to you as well. Lord, go with each family this week. Go with each person here this week. And in a very precious way, would you meet them and would you minister deeply your healing touch to their heart, to their marriage, to their relationships. And I pray all of this and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. We're going to look next week at Leah, the girl that nobody loved. Have a good week. <laughs>